Hey friends, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. Theopolis trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we conclude our series on biblical worldview with James Jordan. And here, Jordan is going to be discussing the new creation. We really hope that you've enjoyed this foundational series from Jordan, and we look forward to starting a new one in a couple of weeks. Do check out those links in the show notes. Specifically, take a look at the link for our Theopolis Liturgy and Psalter. This Psalter contains many of the psalm chants that have gone up on our YouTube page over the last year, as well as the liturgical services that we use in our fellows program and our intensive courses. There's no better time than right now to learn how to sing and chant the psalms, so we encourage you to pick up a copy or two and join us as we sing God's war songs together. With that, we want to thank you so much for listening. We hope that you are sharpened and edified by this time of teaching. And here is James Jordan discussing biblical worldview and the new creation. A new heavens and a new earth. We come now to the new covenant and the big new heavens and new earth that are inaugurated in the world. We can look, and we will look later on in this lecture at Revelation chapter 21. The first verse says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Well, we'll have to look at that because, in a sense, I've been saying right along that there were numerous new heavens and new earth, not just a first, but a first and a second and a third. The way in which we should understand this succession of heavens and earth is the the same way we understand the succession of covenants in the Bible. The Bible shows us a a Noahic covenant, an Abrahamic covenant, a Mosaic covenant, uh, a covenant with the house of David, as well as a covenant with the house of Aaron, the Phineas covenant, over in Numbers. And uh, this succession of covenants has an overarching structure, however. There is an old covenant made with Adam, and then there is a new covenant made with Jesus Christ. Similarly, uh, as we look at the Bible, we have found, and we'll see again in this lecture, that there was a new heavens and a new earth at the time of the flood, uh, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, and there was a new heavens and a new earth at the time of the exile, according to Jeremiah chapter 4, and so forth. And yet, overarching these various new heavens and new earths are, or, or excuse me, overarching these various heavens and earths are the first heaven and earth, or the old one, which has to do with Adam and, the, and continues on until Jesus' resurrection and ascension, and then the definite new and last heavens and earth that are inaugurated at the ascension of Jesus Christ when he goes into heaven and heaven is changed because now a man is in heaven. And that definitely is a new heavens that's radically different from anything that's ever been before. Now... After the first five lectures we've given, where we've surveyed the various periods, I think we're in a good position now, and it would be important for us to review and summarize the structure of biblical world and history that we've seen. What we have done uh, is attempt to integrate worldview with eschatology the way the Bible does. And in diagram 20, a rather complicated diagram, we have uh, a full relatively full summary of what we've looked at with perhaps some additional information. You may wish to take that out of your notebook and take notes on 
the page before you. I've, I've given room to jot things down if you want, or just look at the diagram and listen as we go. In each case, what we want to do is look at the prominent symbols of the cosmic order, and we've done that. We've looked at the temple and the tabernacle and so forth. And we want also to consider the literal heavens, something we really haven't done up till now. And then we want to talk about the political heavens and the spiritual heavens over the earth. And uh, we've seen way back at the beginning, I believe in lecture two, that heaven is a model for the earth, and heaven is a model for the land or home, and heaven is also a model for the sanctuary. And so there are, in each of these three environments, there is a heaven and an earth. There, there are rulers and ruled. And uh, in each period, we've glanced at how the world was organized that way. The heaven that was over the world, what was it like? Was it a nation, or was it uh, kings of nations, or was it emperors of empires, or what? And then there were political uh, heavens suspended over the land itself. Was the land being ruled by judges, or by Davidic kings, or by what? And then there are the spiritual heavens that have to do with the sanctuary. Uh, how was God spiritually ministering and influencing the world? Was it through Melchizedekal priest kings, or through the line of Abraham, or through leaders in the synagogue, or what? So let's, let's review this history of the world that we've seen and uh, get it before us, and that will lead us into a consideration of the new covenant and the new heavens and earth. The first thing on the chart is the pre-fall uh, and post-fall sides of the first heavens and earth. Uh, prominent symbols of the cosmic order were the Garden of Eden and the Land of Eden and that whole structure with the four rivers flowing out. And that continued throughout this entire period, both before and after the fall of Adam. In the literal heavens, uh, before the fall, there were righteous angels, but there were no men because men had not yet been allowed to go into the transfigured state and enter heaven itself. Adam would have, had he not sinned at some point, but he failed, and so it remained for Jesus Christ to enter into heaven, the literal heavens, and become the first man there and inaugurate a new heavens at that point. After the fall of man, however, Satan is permitted access into the heavens. Of course, Satan himself fell, and Satan might have been cast out right away if man had resisted him. But when Adam allowed Satan to dominate the earthly sanctuary, then by extension Satan was allowed into the heavenly sanctuary as well, to argue his case before God, and we see that in the book of Job, and we see that Satan does have access to the heavenly court throughout the Old Covenant period until he's finally cast out by Jesus in Revelation chapter 12. Adam was supposed to maintain the earthly sanctuary, and he didn't. He turned it over to Satan, and thus gave Satan access not only to the earthly sanctuary, but also to the heavenly one. The characteristic political heavens over the world, well, Adam was to rule the world, uh, but after his fall and the decay of the world, we saw that during the period before the flood, uh, the world was ruled by strong men uh, who tyrannized over whoever they could get within their grasp. It was ruled by thugs. The political heavens over the land, the land of Eden, well, Adam uh, was to rule over that land after the fall of Adam and after his death, then his descendants through the line of Seth would have been the rulers over the land of Eden. And probably the genealogy in Genesis chapter 5 gives us the names of the men who ruled over that land. Then we can talk about the spiritual heavens. 
Uh, who would have dominated the spiritual life of people? Well, had Adam not fallen, uh, he would have as the first man and the oldest and most wise mature of men. He would have been the priest. Once he fell, then uh, that was restored. His priesthood was restored uh, on the basis of a blood sacrifice and it was carried down through the line of Seth. Uh, we see that uh, men did worship God and there were leaders in worship at this stage in history. It says in chapter 4, verse 26 of Genesis, To Seth a son was born, he called his name Enosh, and men began to call on the name of the Lord, referring to public worship. So that's where the spiritual heavens were uh, at that time. Now in the period of Noah, uh, we find that there was uh, an old heavens and earth and then a new world inaugurated at this time. That's what uh, 2 Peter 3, verses 5 and 6 tell us. 2 Peter 3, 5 and 6. It escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and by water. It's referring to Genesis 1. Through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. And so that world was destroyed and a new world, a new heavens and earth were inaugurated. What was the prominent symbol of the cosmic order? Well, while it existed, the ark was. And we looked at the ark as a world model. After the ark settled on Mount Ararat, uh, there may not have been any type of symbols of the cosmic order, although we do see that uh, an altar was built by Noah, and probably altars were built by uh, righteous men uh, representing the holy mountain and some, giving some degree of symbolism to their understanding of the world. And as far as the literal heavens are concerned, Satan is still uh, active in the highest heaven. The characteristic political heavens over the world were priest kings, uh, as the order of Melchizedek. And as far as the land, the Eden land, the holy land is concerned, there was none at this time. No land was set apart. And how about the spiritual heavens? Well, where such men existed, there were godly priest kings. Not all the priest kings were, were godly. Melchizedek was, and so he was ruling in the spiritual heavens as well and influencing men toward righteousness, leading them. Uh, he was a sun and a moon and a star in a spiritual sense. But uh, throughout the world, there were priest kings, not all of whom, of course, were godly, but all of whom were political rulers. Now we come to a new heavens and new earth at the time of the patriarchs. In Genesis uh, 15, verse 5, we can use this kind of a proof text for a new heavens and a new earth uh, with the call of Abraham because God tells Abraham... Um, look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them and he says so shall your seed be so Abraham and the patriarchs are established in the heavens as stars and they will be the spiritual heavens from now on so we have a new heavens and a new earth prominent symbols in this third stage are the altars and trees and springs that we studied uh, various Edenic symbols that show the structure of the world water being given out uh, food being given out and the world being led to worship by the new priests as far as the literal heavens are concerned uh, Satan still has access there characteristic political heavens over the world well we probably have developing nations uh, we see that Abraham uh, is dealing with various kings who are priest kings such as Abimelech and Pharaoh 
but some of these uh, places are emerging as more than simply small city-states. They're becoming somewhat bigger. Um, the patriarchs ruled over the land of Eden as much as possible. They really ruled by, by anticipation, but there was still some government exercised, as we see in Genesis 14, uh, where Abraham is able to uh, rule over the land in the sense that he controls what's going on there, even though it wasn't his land. And the spiritual heavens are now changed with the setting apart of the Abrahamic line through circumcision. These will be the priests to the world, and they will lead the world in worship from now on. Then we come to the Mosaic heavens and earth. Fourthly, we saw that there is a proof text in Isaiah 51, verses 15 to 16, that speaks of an establishment of the heavens and earth at the time of the escape from Egypt. At least that seems to be the meaning of the text. And the prominent symbol of the cosmic order was, was the tabernacle and its environment. Uh, as far as the literal heavens are concerned, Satan still has access. The uh, political heavens over the world were still in terms of developing nations, just as Israel is a developing nation. There are parallels here. The political heavens over the land are the judges. There are also elders and princes, but they're not highlighted. What is highlighted as the political heavens over the land of Eden are the judges. And during this period, as we saw, the spiritual heavens, there's a refinement. Uh, while all of the nation were priests uh, and, and had some uh, influence over the world in that respect, yet the Aaronic line is set apart to be the, the, the special priests for Israel and for the world. And working with them were the seers, sometimes called prophets, but actually seers who saw into God's revelation but were apparently not consulted by him as to what to do. But these work with the judges and help to rule the land both spiritually and politically. The fifth heavens and earth are the Davidic ones. And there's a proof text concerning them in Jeremiah chapter 4, which we haven't looked at before, so probably we should. Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah is writing at the time of the destruction of the Davidic world and the exile. And he says, I, in Jeremiah 4.23, prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem, I looked on the earth, and behold, it was formless and void, and on the heavens, and they had no light. So the heavens and the earth are going to be destroyed here. I looked on the mountains, and they were quaking. The hills moved to and fro. I looked, behold, there was no man. The birds of the heavens had fled. Behold, the fruitful land was a wilderness. The cities were pulled down before the Lord, before his fierce anger. He says in verse 28, uh, well, let's just read on. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not com execute a complete destruction. For this the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above be dark. Because I have spoken, I have purposed, and I will not change my, man, my mind, nor will I turn from it. So we're talking clearly about the political and spiritual heavens and earth here uh, in the symbolic language of the text. And it's a reference to the Davidic heavens and earth that are being uh, destroyed. And the distinction between the land and the other uh, parts of the world is going to be eradicated. Well, we're not there yet. The point here was to see that the Davidic period is a heavens and earth. The prominent symbol of the cosmic order is the temple. As far as the literal heavens are concerned, 
Satan still has access to heaven. Uh, the characteristic political heavens over the world are nations, rulers over nations. Uh, we no longer have little city-states here and there. We have developing nations that uh, David and Solomon and the kings have to deal with. As far as the land of Eden is concerned, we now have moved from judges to kings. And as far as the spiritual heavens are concerned, we still have the Aaronic priests, although they've been much reorganized by David into 24 courses, and there are singers and gatekeepers. And then we also have the prophets. The seers have become prophets who actually are consulted by God, and the prophets work with the kings in keeping them in line. Well, the fifth uh, heavens and earth, as we've seen, declines and is destroyed, and so we have a post-exilic heavens and earth, which comes into being, and of course Jeremiah 4 implies that. The prominent symbol of the cosmic order is Ezekiel's visionary temple. And this is a change. What really counts now is not the literal temple built in Jerusalem, although it's important. The prophecies of Haggai and Zechariah make it very plain that the people needed to build that temple, and God wanted it built, and it was supposed to be built. And yet it was not anywhere near as glorious as Solomon's, and it certainly was not built to the precise specifications of Ezekiel's visionary temple. And the temple that uh, Haggai put up uh, fell into disrepair, and eventually Herod put up another temple. In fact, the, the glorious temple that Herod was building was not completed. Now, sometimes people have said, well, that temple that Herod built was not built at any command of God, and God never honored it. But that's not true at all. God did honor it. Uh, Jesus spoke in its courts. Uh, he cleansed it, treating it as if it was a true house of prayer. Uh, he wept over it, and... Uh, it, he counted it as a true temple, and so did the apostles, uh, until it was destroyed. So it clearly was a true temple, and it was an image of Ezekiel's visionary temple, although, again, not built to specifications. Now, this change is important because it means that we are moving from uh, a stage of history where we need to have uh, precise earthly copies into a situation where we can read and have a visionary understanding of how things are supposed to be even without a literal temple on the earth. And of course, when we get to the New Covenant, that change will be complete. We no longer have any temple at all in a physical sense, but we definitely have the visionary temple of the book of Revelation, which we'll discuss in a minute. So the prominent symbols of the cosmic order are primarily Ezekiel's visionary temple, which gives us a glorious picture of this post-exilic period. And then there are secondarily the literal temples that were built uh, by Haggai and Zechariah, uh, by Zerubbabel and Joshua and then rebuilt by Ezra and then the Herod temple as well. As far as the literal heavens are concerned, Satan still has access. The characteristic political organization of the world has moved from national to imperial. This is the age of the great empires and the book of Daniel tells us all about them uh, and how the world will be dominated by these world empires until Messiah comes. How about the political heavens over the land of Eden? Well, Primarily, the land was ruled by imperial appointees. Whatever empire was dominating the world at the time would appoint uh, the people to rule. And Nehemiah is an example of that. Nehemiah was appointed by the king to uh, take charge of the political situation there. When we come down to the New Testament, we find Pilate and Herod uh, ruling over the land. But there were also Jewish leaders, of course, ruling in the land as well. But the Davidic kings no longer had any particularly prominent place. 
As far as the spiritual heavens are concerned, again, there's a change. We still have Aaronic priests and Levites, and they are reconstituted um, by Ezra and by Haggai and Zechariah, acting as prophets who set the system back in order again. But we also have the full development of the synagogue and the spread of the synagogue throughout the world, so that the spiritual heavens are no longer so much locked up in Israel, but they begin to spread out, and houses for God are built everywhere in the world. Evangelism proceeds. The river flows out from Ezekiel's temple and begins to change the world in anticipation of the new covenant. And uh, there were synagogues all along, I should add. Leviticus 23, verse 3 says that there will be a holy convocation every Sabbath day. But apparently uh, the synagogues were headed up by local Levites and later on during the Davidic period by prophets as well as Levites. But now we have the development of the synagogue as a much more important thing. And the synagogue leaders were not Levites. Uh, They could be any Israelite who was elected to serve as president of the synagogue or as elders and deacons and and they had a number of different offices. But these were the spiritual heavens, the rulers of the synagogue, and this transformation will lead us toward the church. Well, now we come to the seventh, and I believe the final heavens and earth, the new heavens and earth spoken of in Revelation 21.1. The prominent symbol of the cosmic order is the new Jerusalem of John's vision. It points us toward the final condition of things even after uh, this life and this world, but it also is a picture of the present world, And we know that because uh, of what Revelation 22 says. It's a mistake to think that uh, the New Jerusalem is only future. Revelation 22 says in verse 17, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, that's the church, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Well, this is an invitation to enter the city and to take the water of life. And that invitation is not going to be extended after the last judgment, obviously. So it is, we are still, we have a picture here of the church and of the gospel age and of the world. Well, the New Jerusalem then is a visionary picture of the cosmic order, and we don't see it in the world today any more than Ezekiel's visionary temple was seen in the world. And yet we understand that the principles of this vision are operative even now. And we will look at that uh, in the second half of this lecture. As far as literal heavens are concerned, big change. Satan has been cast out. Man has been has entered. Jesus has gone in. Now that's a big change and that had never been that way before. How about the political heavens over the world and the political heavens over the land? Well, here's another big change because the distinction between the world and the holy land has been eliminated. I mean, It's still the case conceptually that we distinguish between the world and the home and the sanctuary, but in terms of the God-given design of the world, there is no longer any special land. It's important to see that because there's confusion on that point. Some people think the land of Palestine is still special. Throughout the Middle Ages, there were crusades to deliver the Holy Land, and even now today we have certain schools of thought that think that the race of Jews in the land of Palestine uh, has a special place in the present world. Well, we are told in Romans 11 that God is going to convert the Jews someday, and he still has a special dealing with them, but there is nothing about the Holy Land uh, being any different from any other land. And the fact is, 
that distinction is gone. It's the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile and it's been eliminated in the New Covenant. And so the, the heavens over the earth today are the political rulers. And we have stars on our flag to symbolize the power and the rule of our nation. And how about the spiritual heavens? Well, that's the church and particularly the elders in the church who are referred to in the book of Revelation as angels and stars. We read Revelation 1, 2, and 3 and we find that the elders of the churches, the pastors, are spoken of as angels, which obviously is a heavenly thing, and they're also referred to as stars. Jesus holds the stars in his right hand and the stars are the angels of the churches. So, the elders over the church and the church herself are the spiritual heavens uh, that are setting the pattern for the world. Well, that is our survey of the heavens and the earth in history. And now we want to turn in more detail to the new heavens and new earth that come with the new covenant. We can begin by looking at Revelation 21, verse 1, where we read, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. The change, the, the definitive changes that take place here have to do with the geography of the world. As I just mentioned, there is in the New Covenant no longer any God-appointed land. There always was in the Old Testament, except for the period after the flood. We had the land of Eden, which God had appointed as a special place, uh, and then we had the land of Canaan, which was always a special place. And situated in that land was a God-appointed sanctuary. God said where it was to be. God said what it was supposed to look like. Uh, at least, and we get down to the post-exilic period, God gave a general idea of what it was supposed to look like, although they had some flexibility in how they built it, as we see. But that all changes in the New Covenant. There's no special land. There's no special sanctuary. In a sense, all the world is the same. Now, it can potentially become a home. You can go into the wilderness and make it a home. You can make the wilderness into an Eden. And you can establish a sanctuary anywhere because we can build a church anywhere, and that is, in a sense, a sanctuary, a place where people gather together to worship God. But God has not appointed any particular place, and that is a definite total change from the first creation. It's not a re we have not returned, you see, to the original Garden of Eden situation because there God did build a garden and God did set up a land of Eden. But now that's gone. There's no particular place on the earth. So we're definitely in a new earth situation. Moreover, we're told that there is no, and we are in a new heaven situation as well as we've seen because for the first time, man is in heaven. Spiritually speaking, we have access to heaven through Jesus Christ any time and we'll, we'll see that uh, in a few minutes but literally speaking there is a flesh and blood uh, flesh and bone at least human being in heaven and that was not the case before the fall so we're definitely into a new heaven situation finally we're told that there is no longer any sea uh, that is a curious statement some have interpreted it to mean that there is no longer any abyss under the earth heaven and earth and abyss remember our three story world but as a matter of fact, there is a lake of fire, and I don't see that this could really refer to the abyss. The key to understanding what it refers to lies in the fact that the book of Revelation uses the words earth and sea in a very particular kind of a way. Uh, 
And the fact is the word earth or land is used throughout the book of Revelation for the land of Palestine, for the land of Canaan, the Holy Land, and the sea is used for the Gentile world. Now this corresponds in our discussion to the world and the homeland or Eden. And what John is saying here in the vision is that the Jew-Gentile distinction is broken down. There's no longer any sea, there's no longer any Gentile world. The entire world is now uh, potentially Eden. The entire world is potentially holy land. And this will become much clearer when we look at the coming of the New Jerusalem out of heaven because actually the New Jerusalem will fill the entire world. It will fill the entire land. So what John is getting at here, what's being said is there's a new heaven and a new earth and no longer any sea because the entire world is now the same. It's all the land of Eden. It is all holy land. There are no longer a Jew-Gentile distinction. There are no longer any Jew, uh, Gentiles outside over against the Jews that are in the land. Rather, all the earth is the same and it's all now holy because it is all potentially New Jerusalem and someday all will become New Jerusalem. Let's look then at the new heavens that exist. There are five things we want to say about the new heavens. The first is that the, the new heavens are literally changed because Jesus has come in to these heavens. And in terms of the literal heavens, he literally in his physical body ascended into the firmament heavens and then passed through them into the highest heavens. The disciples saw him ascend into the firmament heavens and then they knew by faith that he had gone into the highest heavens. And this is set out for us in Hebrews chapter 9 where it says that Jesus, uh, verse 24, that uh, just as the high priest entered into the earthly heavens, the copies of the heavens, so Jesus did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now, Jesus' entrance into heaven means that for the first time there is a man, a human being, in heaven. And this was never the case in the Old Testament. It certainly was not the case uh, in the Garden of Eden. Adam, had he persevered, would have been given such literal access to heaven in a transfigured body. But he did not persevere and he did not go to heaven as a result of keeping the covenant. Jesus, however, did. And we see this set out in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. Uh, John is unable to see it. John is caught up to heaven in a vision. And he sees in chapter 4, uh, God sitting upon his throne, surrounded by the cherubim who worship him, and therefore guard his holiness and do not allow it to be defiled by wicked men. And then John sees uh, in chapter 5, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open this book or look into it. And I began to weep greatly, but the elder said, Stop weeping because the Lamb is entitled to approach the throne. And then he sees Jesus go and pass through the cherubim and sit down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so Jesus, a man in human flesh and bone, is now in heaven, and this is a radically new 
heavens. Jesus, of course, is God as well as man, but what is new and different is the fact that there is humanity at the right hand of God. Well, if man is in heaven, then Satan is cast out of heaven. And we see this in chapter 12 of Revelation where we read that Michael and his angels waged war with the dragon and they were not strong enough and there was no longer a place for them in heaven and the dragon was cast down. How did Satan ever get into heaven? Well, as one of God's angels, when he fell, he he was a heavenly being. Uh, He might have been cast out right away had Adam kept the covenant. But Adam invited Satan to take charge of the sanctuary allowed him to dominate the Garden of Eden. And as a result, Satan continued to have access to and a place in heaven, uh, literally in heaven, the true heavens, throughout all the centuries until Jesus came and he was cast out. So, there are new heavens in the pure literal sense, but there are also new governmental heavens. The book of Revelation tells us that the church is positioned in heaven. And uh, this is something new. Uh, In the Old Testament, the Priests, a few of them had access to the copies of the heavens on the earth, but the book of the New Testament tells us that we in Jesus Christ have access to the true heavens any time. In fact, we are positioned with Christ in heavenly places, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So, uh, we are positioned there even though we haven't actually reached the physical heavens yet. The church is in heaven, and in the book of Revelation, the leaders of the church are spoken of as stars and angels, and thus they are given this heavenly place. Um, And the bibliography will give you more information along those lines. So, the church is positioned in heaven, and that means that in a political sense, the rulers of the world and of the apostate Israel have to be cast out. In Revelation chapter 6, we see a description of how the heavens were shaken when Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70, or in the, in the years preceding it, climaxing in A.D. 70. These heavenly powers who ruled over the land uh, were shaken down. In chapter 6, verse 12 of Revelation, I looked when he broke the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake, that's on the earth, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. The whole moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree. And that's a symbol for Israel, right? Cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when rolled up. That's the heavens being destroyed. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. That's the earth. So, uh, heavens and earth are destroyed uh, in terms of Israel. The heavens are shaken down. The rulers are shaken out. And in connection with that, once the judgment has begun at the house of God, it doesn't stop there. The rulers of the nations, pagan nations, are also shaken down to make way for the people of God. Matthew chapter 24 describes the destruction of Jerusalem as a great tribulation. And then in verse 29 it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, that is, immediately after the destruction of Jerusalem, now the judgment has begun at the house of God, then the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That's referring to the Gentile nations. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn, 
And the angels, that is the church, will go out with a trumpet and gather the elect from one end of the heavens to the other. So the gospel will go forth to all the earth. Well, there's a picture of the heavens of <coughs> the heavenly rulers of uh, the Gentile world being shaken down. So in every sense, there's a new heavens, a new literal heavens, in that Jesus in his humanity is now in heaven and Satan is cast out, and new political heavens, in that the church is now enthroned, uh, positioned as rulers of the earth, and God has definitively shaken down the Jewish church state as AD 70, and he has entered a process of darkening the suns, moons, and stars of the pagan world to make room for the church. Now that's the new heavens. Let's look briefly at the new earth. There are two points we want to make about that, very briefly. The first is that the Jew and Gentile distinction is gone. The middle wall of partition is removed, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians, and that means that the distinction between Eden and the other parts of the world is gone. There's no longer any special land. All the world is the same. To use the language of the book of Revelation, there's no longer any sea. There's no longer any Gentile world over against a Jewish world. It is all the same land. And that makes for a new earth, because that, that division between the outer world and the land of Eden is gone. And the second thing about the new earth, what makes it... Uh, that's the political structure of the new earth has changed. The true uh, religious, uh, I mean, uh, the, the, the real change in the earth that brings us about is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Just as the heavens, the literal heavens are changed by Jesus ascending into it, so the literal world is changed by the Spirit coming down from heaven to the earth. A man goes into heaven and changes the heavens. The Spirit comes down from heaven to the earth at Pentecost and changes the earth. That's what destroys the Jew-Gentile distinction because now everyone has the Spirit the same way. And so both really, as a result of the descent of the Spirit, and politically, we have a new earth. Finally, let's conclude by looking at Revelation 21 very briefly and glancing at diagram 21 in your notebook and discussing the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem. John says, uh, we can just read this again, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any Gentile sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. How does this fit? Do we have three environments here, heaven and earth and Jerusalem, as a holy place, an earthly sanctuary? Well, no, not really. What he tells us about New Jerusalem is that it is the same thing as the new earth, in essence. Uh, look at verse 10. He carried away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, picture the mountain now, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Now, what happens when this new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven? Well, it just comes down and covers this mountain. Now, the mountain represents the whole earth. Remember, we saw that Mount Zion was a world model, and that's what we're referring back to here, Zion as a world model. And as we'll see, down at the bottom are the dogs in Gehenna, and up at the top is heaven. But whereas in Mount Zion you had a series of environments from Gehenna down at the bottom through uh, a non-city area along the mountainside, and then you came to the city, and then you came to the temple area, and you had a whole series of environments, 
Uh, here there's only one environment. The entire mountain is covered by the city. Now a mountain uh, is, is a rough shape with a lot of curves in it, but a city is an architectural design, and as we've said before, a pyramid is a stylized city. And the book of Revelation here describes uh, Jerusalem as a city, uh, as a pyramid that simply covers the mountain. It covers the world, uh, and thus the new earth and the new Jerusalem are the same. The one is laid over on top of the other, and all of the people of God are in this place. Ultimately, the wicked will not be anymore. It says in verse 24, the nations will walk by its light, kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and they'll all be there. Verse 22 says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Well, does that mean that there is uh, that, that God will be in this city? No, actually, if you look at the diagram 21, you'll see that the top of the city actually pokes into heaven itself. In chapter 22, verse 1, he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And then this river cascades on down uh, into the city and waters the city out to its edge. And so the picture that we have here is that the entire earth has become a new Jerusalem, a glorified mountain pyramid, and it stretches right up and now touches heaven. And what the wicked men wanted to do at the Tower of Babel, to build a ladder that reaches into heaven, God himself has now done by letting the new Jerusalem proceed out of heaven, and men can walk right up to the throne of God and have access to him at any time. That is spiritually true today. And the Bible gives us reason to believe that someday the entire earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the seas, and as the waters cover the seas, so the earth will be covered with Jerusalem. We don't expect, I believe, to ever see a literal city like this any more than Ezekiel's temple was ever literally built. But what it figures for us is a perfected world. Well, what about the wicked? They are outside. It says in verse 15 of chapter 22, Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, the immoral persons, murderers and idolaters, everyone who loves and practices lying. So Gehenna is still there. There's no more world, a Gentile world. The entire world has been drawn up into the holy mountain. And this is the only thing that's left. All those different stages and degrees that existed in the Old Testament, the world has grown. And now the sanctuary is heaven. And the entire earth is glorified as the city garden, New Jerusalem. The wicked are outside in hell. That's the way it will be for all eternity. And spiritually speaking, that's the vision of what the world is like now. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.